Welcome, welcome, welcome into Caleb and Kitty in the Morning here on 1380 The Fan at 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you coming up today on the show. The Comets dealing with some fines. We'll get to that after headlines. Plus, the Colts should only do a franchise tag with Michael Pittman Jr. And they only have a little bit of time to make a decision on that. Plus, the White Sox want over a billion dollars in public money for a new stadium and how it impacts the Bears and their discussions for a new stadium. Plus, a wide receiver one just hit the market for the Colts. And no, I'm not talking about re-signing Michael Pittman Jr., why the Colts should go in a different direction. Plus, Matt Painter fell into the Mike Woodson trap. We'll get to that around 820. And Alabama's just the 2019 Indiana Hoosiers in football. We'll explain that after 830 this morning. Mm. Just wild. Uh, the Tom Allen coaching tree continues to deliver. Just not for <laughs> Indiana. Well... Tom Allen doesn't deliver, but by gosh, his staff does. And uh, before we leave you, uh, Gen Z trying to bring back a staple of our childhoods that, quite honestly, doesn't need to be brought back. Dunkaroos? Uh, No, millennials brought those back. Okay. I have some of those at home, by the way. Do you? Yeah. I'm heading over to your house after this. (laughs) I've not Uh, had those in forever. They're probably not very good because I bought them from the discount store, so they're like expired. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. I, I don't care. Now, how did you eat? How do you eat your dunkaroos? Did you like? I would eat all the crackers and then eat all the icing. Oh, I I dip. You actually dip, or I yeah. would use very little icing on my dipping, and then I would eat all the icing left over. Yeah, no, I I I dip. Try to maximize the icing to cracker ratio. A lot uh-huh. of icing, one cracker, and then which have is always difficult left to over. figure out. It's yeah. kind of like when and you get prevent like, them from breaking. Yeah, which is always tough because you can't dip them too too deep. You'll know, break. Same thing with like chips and dip. You know, you try yeah. to to if you have a plate of it. And and I this is my struggle with soft tacos, is I still struggle with how much I can put in a soft taco and still be able to fold it. Yeah, I I, I shifted to being a crunchy taco guy. Oh really? Yeah. I go back and forth. Uh, sometimes it's uh, and sometimes even the same uh, sitting. I'll have both, but. Uh, uh, don't worry, I, I'm, I'm still grinding. I'll still figure it out, but uh, it's <laughs> we're, an ongoing We're talking struggle. the classic beef, tomato, lettuce, yes. cheese, additional toppings as needed. Yeah, and you just pile it on and you're like, yeah. well, hell, I can't fold this thing. <laughs> it's just uh, still trying to figure that out, but one day. ongoing struggle. Uh, so all that to come, no, and it's not it's not tacos that Gen Z's bringing back. Okay. Um, I think tacos were already here. Yeah, they haven't right? gone anywhere. Uh, but th- this item, um, I was shocked when I read it. And of course, it's not for actual use. All right. So we'll get to that after 8.50. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Uh, I'm hanging in there. I, I was worried I wasn't going to have a voice this morning, so I'm just happy I can talk. Yeah, you sound a little bit yeah. off, but um, could be worse. Yeah, so. it's it's really just like I I feel or, or I think I sound worse than I feel. It's really just yeah. annoying. But More of an annoying. As it is in winter, right? Yeah, kind of like this show. Sometimes it's just an annoyance. <laughs> yeah. But thanks for yeah. tuning in anyway. Yeah. Hopefully we won't annoy you too much over the course of today. All right. Let's dive into headlines this morning. And the Nets have made a change at head coach during the All-Star break. Out Jacques Vaughn in Kevin Ollie. Yes. That Kevin Ollie who led UConn to the national championship back in, what was it, 2014. Uh, he has been promoted from assistant to interim head coach. He'll run practice today, start coaching Thursday, his first game against the Toronto Raptors. 
he's actually in the running to be the permanent head coach if it goes well. So uh, we'll see the Nets. Uh, they fall, have fallen out of the top 10 in the East. And with 28 games left in the regular season schedule, his first game will be Thursday night against the Raptors. He was with uh, Overtime Elite, right? And then um, I think this is his first year on staff, I want to say. And had a successful career in the NBA over 10 years. And as you mentioned, uh, led UConn to the National Championship in 2014. So he was actually a candidate last year for the Pistons job and didn't get it. And he'll take over a team that, I don't know, would you say that they're underachieving or they where they should be. I, I'm just looking at Brooklyn. I'm like, they don't have a lot of talent. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, are they, I mean, we look at Jock Vaughn getting fired. Were they really supposed to be better than they are now? Kind of don't see it, but we'll see what Kevin Ollie can do. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, it's not like they have all those stars collected together like they had before. Right. Uh, that didn't work either. So yeah, I, I no. guess I'm not really blaming Jacques Vaughn. It's just, they don't have the right talent together on that team. Uh, the problem is, I mean, obviously you don't have, uh, Durant and Kyrie anymore, but they, or James Harden, and they traded a lot of their first round picks for James Harden. So it's not like they're loaded up with picks the next couple of years, and you know, picks don't matter as much maybe in the NBA as as other sports. Um, but but still, lottery picks do. Yeah, lottery picks do, and Brooklyn didn't have them, so uh, it's going to be an interesting rebuild in Brooklyn. Uh, elsewhere, the NBA, Mike Conley has agreed on a two-year, $21 million extension with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, I guess I'm not as much surprised that Mike Conley is still playing the NBA. He's had a great career, the Indy native. It's I did really, not know that. that it's really that like he's played in the NBA for this long, and I'm just connecting the dots like, wow, we're getting old. Because well, yeah. I watched him play in high school. Oh, me too. I mean, I watched those <laughs> Lawrence North teams. I would take trips down to watch Lawrence yeah. North with Mike Conley and, and Greg Oden. I mean, those, those that, at that time was the big team, the big thing to watch in Indiana high school basketball. Was oh, a future number one and number two NBA draft pick. It and was, then you, you throw in some of the players they're playing against, Josh McRoberts, Eric Gordon. I mean, it was it was a like a two-year span of just extreme talent yeah, in central Indiana. In the heyday of Lawrence North high, uh, basketball, and I think they're good again this year, but when they would take the floor... And even like their JV would come out, it was all like six one and above. It yeah. was just insane. And then the varsity would come out, everybody was like six three and above. Like it was just if freakish athletes that went to Lawrence North to play basketball and two of the best, Mike Conley and Greg Oden. We know what happened with Greg Oden's career, but Mike Conley has had a long and relatively successful career in the NBA. Now thirty six years old and getting a two year twenty one million dollar extension from the yeah, team. Still out there balling. I mean yeah. it was uh, Odin was always the guy with the extreme upside, but Conley was always the steady player, yeah. and he's turned into a really good NBA player. Remember, at one point he, he was the highest played paid player in the league. Yeah, for like he a kind hot of second. Yeah, he kind of he's he raised the bar the for for where the contracts were going in the NBA, and we knew he wouldn't stay stay there long in terms of being the highest played player in the NBA. But he kind of reset the market and uh, has been a key part to Minnesota's run to. Uh, in the thick of the chase for the number one seed in the West. Yeah, one of the top teams this season in the NBA. From the NBA to college basketball, Kanye Clary has been dismissed from Penn State for head coach Mike Rhodes. Uh, remember, he was out in that game that they blew out IU at Assembly Hall. Uh, so Penn State going to be without their leading scorer for the rest of the season. Not ideal. 
for Penn State, but they're just kind of playing this the string out, and they have no chance to do anything for the postseason. But uh, he was Clary missed some games with an injury, and he was out. And Penn State won three straight games, including that win over Indiana. And um, he returned from injury and um, wasn't that good. Came and didn't played very little, and now he's off the team. So he was the seventh highest scorer in the Big Ten this season and did not travel to Nebraska for the game this past weekend and now no longer a part of the Nittany Lions, which uh, who knows what the story is behind the scenes, but not ideal, but it's not like Penn State was going anywhere anyway. No, no, they were a team fighting uh, to be on the right side of 500. The latest AP poll is out, and for the first time this season, UConn is a unanimous number one. Uh, Purdue drops from number two to number three. Not really a, a big surprise there. Obviously, <laughs> Indiana State drops out after their horrendous week last week, uh, but really no major changes. Goes UConn, Houston, Purdue, Arizona, Tennessee, your top five, Iowa State, Marquette, Duke, Kansas, North Carolina, your top ten. I just uh, I, I take full blame but what, for what has happened with Indiana State. Yeah, we we brought them up, them. and they tanked. And they absolutely tanked. They're back in action tomorrow night at Valpo. We'll see if they can get off the uh, snide a little bit. Uh, two straight losses for the Sycamores, who were, uh, when we talked about them, were 22-3. and three. Now they're 22-5 and five and out of the top 25. In NASCAR, after a rain-delayed Daytona 500, they finally finished it yesterday and finished it under caution as William Byron uh, gives Hendrick Motorsports another Daytona 500 win in their 40th anniversary season, the number 24 back in victory lane at Daytona. Uh, It was a relatively clean-lit race until, of course, right at the very end, a huge crash that knocked out a lot of contenders and Byron able to hang on as Ross Chastain went for broke and spun out. Yeah, oh, you and I were texting back and forth right about 10 laps to go. We said this is, uh, we've seen this before as the laps were counting down and guys going at it up front and led to the big one. Took out a lot of contenders. You had Denny Hamlin in there. You had Kyle Busch in there. Joey Logano in there. All taken out. And so it was kind of that next crop that that were were able to, were, to hang back and get through the big one and raced for the win. And it was uh, one under caution by William Byron. But um, it's a, a typical Daytona race, I think, the most exciting parts of the last 10, 15 laps. And uh, delivered once again last night. So congratulations to William Byron. 11th career Cup Series win. Uh, and he won six times last year. And he gets off to a good start this year, winning Daytona. Yeah, made it to the uh, championship round last season with those career-high six wins, and now adds on to that with a Daytona 500 win. And in the NHL, wild game last night between the Wild and the Vancouver Canucks, 10-7. to Your final score is the Minnesota Wild get the win. Um they faced a three-goal deficit in the second period. They had six unanswered goals. It was uh, There's six goals in five minutes and 45 seconds. Fastest such flurry in the NHL in 25 years. Since Washington had, uh, had six goals in 447 of game action in 1999. You had uh, Joel Erickson-Eck and Kirill Kaprizov, both with hat tricks and both with three assists. So finished with six points 
each of them. Uh, just a wild game last night in, in Minnesota. And, you know, that uh, field goal at the end put Minnesota over the top. Yeah, and, and to think, the Canucks were 28-6-2 when scoring first. Now they're 28-7-2. And, and that's a team competing for the top seed in the West, Vancouver. So a, uh, a big win for Minnesota, who with the 16 total goals scored, uh, 17 total goals scored, I can't count, most in any game. The Wild had have ever played in. It was the first regular season game with three hat tricks since night, November eighth, nineteen ninety two, when Mike Donnelly, Luke Robitaille, and Yari Curry all had one for Los Angeles in an eleven four win over San Jose. Luke Robitaille, haven't heard that. Name oh, in a while. I know, I was blasting the back. Yari Curry too. Man, those were some some really good L.A. Kings teams. Of course, with Wayne Gretzky on that team as well. Yeah, that certainly helps. Yeah. Uh, and you have the great one on your roster. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. We'll get your to your text throughout the course of the show this morning. Also, don't forget, you can always listen in via the 1380th Fan mobile app. That's free to download. 1380thfan.com. Just click listen live or on your smart speaker. You can listen on there. And we go from the NHL to the ECHL. And the Comets uh, are dealing with some undisclosed fines, according to the Journal Gazette. Head coach Jesse Kalicki, forward Jack Dugan, for Daniel Amesbury, and also defensive Mark Antoine Pepin, uh, all dealing with undisclosed fines after the uh, incidents late in Sunday's loss to Cincinnati. Well, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, and the ECHL not only fined uh, Coach Kalecki and a couple players, but also denied that Daniel Amesbury is being targeted by referees, unfairly targeted, at least for his reputation. But your reputation follows you, and even if they're not being biased, they are watching him more. And we, we talked about it yesterday, and Justin Cohn made a good point. For the Comets to think they were going to h- bring in somebody like Daniel Amesbury and he not be profiled by referees for his reputation is pretty ignorant. Like, yeah, I mean, you know what you're getting with Daniel Amesbury. You can't come out on the back, on the back end and say, well, you're being unfair with this guy. It's a, well, his reputation precedes him. Okay. For, for you not to think that that wasn't going to be a factor is kind of silly. And, and I was at the game on Sunday. It definitely was a cross check. There was the penalty. I mean, you, was you, right, you texted right. me. It, he literally cross-checked a guy in the back. It was yeah, a penalty. It, it put his stick in a guy's back and pushed. It's a penalty. And just, I don't know if the Comets were were more just kind of over the course, it, it reacted based on how bad the weekend was and was just kind of showing frustrations, which I kind of think they did, and that was kind of just the boiling point. But I, I looked at it and said, why are the Comets arguing this when it was a clear penalty? And then they just kind of lost their discipline and, and went crazy over a penalty that was great. Why don't you go crazy over the fact you were three goals down at home late in the game? But I guess that didn't get a rise out of anybody on the team, but the, the penalty did. I, I don't know. It seems like priorities are out of whack on the Ks right now. Why don't you worry about on ice actually winning games and scoring goals and stopping other teams from scoring goals as opposed to worrying about what the reputation is for a guy that you knew had one when you brought him in. And now you're crying foul that 
he's getting penalties called on him. And it was an earned reputation. Yeah, I mean, come on. I, just, I, I don't get it. I mean, if you bring in a physical guy that's going to throw his weight around, then you need to expect um, what's going to go along with that, positive and negative. But I really think it was just emotions boiling over for the entire weekend. It was a terrible weekend for the Ks. They have a, a daunting schedule coming up, six of their next seven against Toledo and Wheeling, who's been uh, winning a lot of games. I think they won, what, 10 or 11 in a row before that ended last week. It's just frustrations boiling over. Uh, and I know the, 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 the fans are starting to feel it as well and, and express it. It has nothing to do with Daniel Amesbury and his his uh, the penalties called on him. It is all the fact that the, the comments just simply aren't good enough on the ice. Well, and you look at the storylines for the season. So obviously hiring a new coach, Jesse Kalicki coming in. There's the first storyline. You have the the good play and goal with three solid goaltenders, uh, not minding the net. But then the other storylines are signing Daniel Amesbury, signing an enforcer, and then him causing this. You have the just inability to go on any court of uh, any sort of streak in terms of winning games, and now you're looking at a team that's two six and one in February. They have 21 games left. Right now, they're likely on track the way it stands because they played extra games than than those around them to miss the playoffs for the first time since 2013. Is the best thing for the Comets to miss the playoffs? Because I think you could argue that because it would put the urgency more on really making some changes with that roster. If you sneak in as a four in the in the central and then you go to Toledo and, and you get rolled in five games or something or four games, whatever, um, you know, is that better than missing the playoffs and really, really kind of making you uh, be introspective and look at what this team needs to go do going into next year? Because I would argue that's better. This losing team's not a, winning a, a championship or no, anything. No, and losing a first-round playoff series doesn't really do you a whole lot. It's, we argue it all the time. Like, what's the point of making the playoffs if you're just going to be one and done? I mean, the Comets aren't a play, aren't a, a contender to win a championship in the ECHL. This team's not good enough. So is it really beneficial for the Comets to make the playoffs? I mean, some people will say yes, of course, because of the practice time and development. I get it. But maybe this team not making the playoffs at all will make this team behind the scenes be more aggressive going into next year. And I think a lot of this is going to, you're going to look at the head coach who had a lot of say on the roster. And I think he's finding out that hockey down south with Florida and the Everblades is different than up here. And I'm not saying in terms of popularity because there's a lot of people that go to Everblades games. But I'm just talking about style of hockey. The Central is different than the other divisions in the ECHL, uh, especially in the East. And I think uh, Coach Kalecki's learning that. And I think it's going to put a lot of onus on him next year. But I kind of think the, 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 the heat would turn up for the good if this team just didn't make the playoffs. And you are tied with Kalamazoo with 53 points for that fourth playoff spot. Kalamazoo has four games in hand. And Cincinnati is lurking three points behind, and they have two games in hand. The Comets have played the most games out of any team in the Central. I just, I don't know. Maybe the, the best thing for this team is to sit the playoffs out and then figure out what the hell they need to do to get it together for next year. And let's not forget, I talked about storylines. I forgot one obvious one. Uh, Olivier Legault leaving and then coming back as assistant coach in a matter of like eight days. 
Yeah, that was kind of a cluster and, you know, talk some people behind the scenes and there was drama there for sure. And you lose your captain uh, last Friday, which really set the tone for the entire weekend that can shake things up. I get it. Uh, but at the same time, look, other, every team in the ECHL goes through promotions and demotions and people going to Europe. Okay. This isn't unique to the Fort Wayne Comets, but other teams are dealing with it better than the Comets. And I, I don't know. I, I kind of look at it and say, you know what? Maybe the best thing for this franchise, for this team, is to sit the playoffs out and then come back with renewed energy, renewed vigor in the offseason to figure out how to build a roster that can compete in the Central because they're just not good enough. They're average at best, and they're not winning or competing for an ECHL championship, so what's the point? Some sort of reset feels like it's needed, and you're not going to get a reset in the postseason. Yeah, and I'm not talking about coaching and no, all that stuff. No, 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 nothing like no. that. We're just, you need a different philosophy. Uh, and, and, and it's the crutch is always leaning on Edmonton and leaning on Bakersfield and, oh, Edmonton and Bakersfield, they don't give the Comets the pieces. That's just a cop out to me because every team deals with call ups and stuff like that in the ECHL. Everybody has an affiliate. Okay. So everybody's dealing with, with teams that need stuff in the AHL. Okay. It's just how do you build a roster outside of those guys? That's going to be effective. And I, I still kind of look at it and I say hockey has changed. It continues to change. It's more skill-based. And the more you hold on to old school hockey, um, you know, dump and chase and grab and and hit and and fight and all that stuff, like the more you're going to be left behind. And I think a part of me looks at the comments and say, you know, it's is hockey passing you by the more the, the Comets try to hold on to old school hockey? And I know Comets fans love a good but, fight and a good hit and all but that But here's stuff. the thing. The fans would love winning more. You would think, but you know what? I'm at a game on Sunday, and I don't see any replays of classic goals by the Comets or classic winning moments of the Comets. It's but all I fights. do see a classic scrap put up there with Steve Fletcher and the biggest... Uh, the, the biggest rise out of, of Comets fans on Sunday was when Amesbury cross-checked that Cyclone player. Well, that it's because was the they were reaction. losing at the moment. Well, but that's the thing. That's my whole thing with Comets fans is a lot of them would love to see a good scrap and a good fight and a good hit over a, a actual good goal or a win. The biggest cheer was when Amesbury laid that dude out. It was a penalty, too, by the way. I just I I know you have to cater to Comets fans, but I think Comets fans very blue collar, and they just they love to see the the hits and the fights and all that stuff. It's like you know what? That's not winning you championships in today's hockey in twenty twenty four. Hits and fights and goonery and all that stuff don't win you championship. It may put people in the seats, but it's not winning you in a, in a lot of games, and that's a problem at home. Well, yeah, they're not winning at home, and that's the the biggest issue because that's very important to the ownership group, the fact that they're not good at the Coliseum and haven't been good at the Coliseum for several years now. I just, I I don't know. The ECHL is is different. You you won a championship a couple years ago in a watered-down ECHL when more than half of the teams didn't play. It was a special circumstance. We all know that. Yes, And, and yeah, it was a nice championship, but... A lot of teams didn't play due to COVID. Okay. And last two years since making the playoffs, but losing in the division semis, 
uh, in the first round, effectively, you have take the COVID year out of it, 2021. And I know people say, oh, it's a championship. Take it out of it because it's a asterisk. You have not advanced past the first round of the playoffs since 2018. They did have a season in 2020. Um, and, and of course, won the title in 2021 in an albeit watered down league. Just like for the last three years, losing the first round, losing the first round, you're on track right now to losing the first round if you even make the playoffs. I think there really needs to be a group think on how this team goes forward because the ECHL has changed. Uh, you're seeing a, a expansion of the ECHL. You know, eventually it looks like you're going to get to 30, maybe 32 teams, right? 30 teams. Everybody's going to have an affiliate. Like it's a, it's a full minor league league. And I just don't know if the Comets, they're, 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 they're stuck because Comets fans love a good hit, love a good fight, um, love a dude that can go around and throw his weight around. And that goes back forever. But the ECHL has changed. Hockey has changed. And I don't necessarily know if you can win like that. Here's the thing. The pitchforks will come out, though, if they fail to make the playoffs. But pitchforks, I mean, if you go on, and my mom is like, a, she's a huge comments fan. She's always on, on the, on the uh, Facebook stuff, and, and she's reading, and it's, it's uh, people are, are, are growing tired of it even now, but I think a Comets fans need to look at themselves and like, look, if you, if you're the ones that love to see hits and fights and stuff, then that's what the Comets are going to do to build teams because it caters to the fans. But you also can't have that and wins. I feel like, um, and, and that's, and that, that's the, that's the thing is you can't really have both in today's hockey. You can have some physicality. I'm not saying you, you, you know, but but you just you can't be one of the team, the leading teams in the league in penalty minutes year after year after year and compete for a championship. You can't. That's not that's not today's hockey anymore. Text coming into four six eight six two. Before we move on, comments can't keep up with the talent in the league. Fort Wayne needs to try to get a pro hockey team. I don't know what that means. Pro yeah, hockey yeah, team. like you mean NHL because that's not happening. Uh, not even the ECA or the AHL at this point. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather go undefeated in fights than win a championship. Well, uh, that may be your best bet with the comments for the near future. Um, this, uh, just it's the mindset of 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 many comets fans is they want to see fights, they want to see physicality, they want to get wins. But in 2024, you can't necessarily have both in in today's hockey. Just Coming up on the other side, the Colts should only franchise tag Michael Pittman Jr. And they don't have a lot of time to do it. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 46862, your text line number here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Again, just put in CK before your message at 46862. Uh, one more comments text we want to get to before we move on. Uh, CK, comments fans have to accept the fact that the ECHL slowly but surely is becoming like minor league baseball with players coming and going constantly. Yeah, that that's what's been happening for years and eventually every team will be affiliated with an NHL team. That's just where this league is headed. Yeah, and for a long time, the heyday of, of the uh, IHL, you know, wasn't like that. And it's tough because the Frankies and Scott Spro, they're used to being able to build teams in their mold and who they wanted to bring in. But uh, the, the current day hockey and how it works with affiliations is you're very limited in the moves you can make. And you have to make those moves count. 
and and that's huge. So you're only as good as basically the farm system of your parent affiliate, right? So if Edmonton is laden with talent, then the Comets benefit. If they have a dearth of talent in their system, then it's a negative for the Comets. But I think with what the the moves they are able to make, they really have to look and say what works in hockey in 2024. And I know the Central Division is a physical division and you have to have a certain amount of physicality, but you have to be able to have physical forwards who give you significant offensive skill. And that's where the Comets have to get. Like They're they're second in the Central Division in penalty minutes. And it just, it it doesn't equate to consistent uh, in in terms of contending. I mean, Toledo is, is never one of the most penalized teams in the ECHL, let alone the central division. And every year they're atop the central. You have to adjust to the way the league is going. You don't want to copy your rival, but I think there's a certain extent where at some point you have to look at Toledo and go, why are they so good all the time? And what do we have to do to get to that? to that level four six eight six two again your text line number four six eight six two uh also if you have thoughts on the colts and michael pittman jr someone texting in ck's colts still don't have a wide receiver one Pittman a wide receiver two at best if he stays at indy so the colts have a timeline as far as what to do with michael pittman jr they have two weeks to make a move starting at 4 p.m today so it's a two-week timeline if they're going to franchise tag him that's the timeline and for the Colts, that's absolutely the move if they're going to keep them. And if, I say that for a reason, because we'll talk next hour about what they should do at the wide receiver position. But if they're going to keep them, that's the move they should make. Uh, he's coming off a career high in catches. He's a solid wide receiver, but he's a big possession guy. He doesn't bring you a lot of speed. He's not a guy who's going to beat you over the top. Um He needs to prove he's a wide receiver one, which he has still yet to do in his career. Now, could Anthony Richardson be the the catalyst for something like that? Maybe, because you look at the quarterbacks that Michael Pittman Jr. has had, it's been different guys, right? You had Phillip Rivers' final year, where he was not the Phillip Rivers of of 10, 15 years ago. Carson Wentz, who had a great season, mind you. Uh, Matt Ryan, who did not have a great season. And Gardner Minshew. So... Outside of the wince year, and Philip Rivers was efficient, but he certainly wasn't beating you down the field at that point in, in his final season. Right. Uh, you didn't really have great quarterback play, and you certainly didn't have guys, I guess Wentz would be the exception, but guys who could throw it down the field, and Pittman is not that kind of guy anyway. He's not worth a long-term extension of the Colts. Uh, they don't have a, a over-the-top proven receiver. The Colts hope Alec Pierce becomes that guy, and he's shown it in flashes, but he's never been consistent enough to feel like he's been worthwhile the second round pick and that he can turn into the guy the Colts need him to be as a big, strong, fast outside receiver. Uh, the Colts haven't used the franchise tag since Pat McAfee in 2013, so it's been a long time. But if there was ever a time to do it, Michael Pittman Jr. is the guy because you don't want to go out and give him, say, four years, $25 million a year. That's what the market could command for him. But he's not worthy of that kind of a contract. You tag him a little over $20 million a year, and then you reassess. And hopefully that assessment includes a full season of Anthony Richardson, a quarterback, to really see what he can do. Because uh, to be fair, uh, uh, as far as an argument for him, he hasn't had consistency at quarterback to, to feel like we have a good read on what he could do with consistency there. 
but we have enough seasons of sample size to know what he is at the same time. Seven players, seven wide receivers, uh, or at least seven players, because there's a couple tight ends in here. Seven players had double-digit touchdown receptions this year in the NFL, led by Mike Evans and Tyreek Hill, each with 13. Michael Pittman, in four years with the Indianapolis Colts, has 15 touchdown receptions. And that is my biggest argument why the Colts should absolutely not sign him long-term. Uh, the great wide receivers eventually have a double-digit touchdown season. He's yet to do it. We've had four seasons. It's enough of a sample size. I think he's a very good possession receiver. He's very good. I mean, he's like a first-down machine. When in doubt, get it to, to Michael Pippen. But, Jr. but he's, averaging, he's averaging for a career 10.9 a catch. Yeah, I know. That's not going to get it done. That's not a number one wide receiver. And his top two years in terms of yards per catch were his first two seasons. Okay. And, you, and this is, you can go through all the quarterbacks and blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is he's not a number one. The stats and the, the eye test both prove that. So what do you do? And I'm not saying you let Michael Pittman Jr. walk, but you also don't need to be paying him number one money. That's why I agree that he's a prime uh, candidate to be tagged by the Indianapolis Colts. I just, I, I don't get this. And this is the thing is, is Indianapolis has had really good wide receivers relatively recent. I mean, you go back and you look at T.Y. Hilton. Hilton and you look at Reggie Wayne and you look, look at, at even um, Marvin Harrison. Like, Colts fans know what a legit one looks like, okay? They know that Michael Pittman Jr. isn't a one, because a, you've seen ones in recent memory yeah, with the Colts. He's a good player, but he's not a great player. He's not making Pro Bowls without people, you know, sitting out or playing in the Super Bowl. Uh, he's not averaging, you know, 15-plus yards a catch, which yeah, that's concerning in, in and of itself. He's not getting you double-digit touchdowns. Yeah, he had a career high in catches and yards, but when you're averaging just over a first down per catch, that's not really wide receiver one material. Yeah, And I understand that the Colts and Chris Ballard, look, I understand that if you drafted a guy, you're going to do everything you can to make sure your investment in that player pays off. And Chris Ballard uh, goes the extra mile with that with his players. And, and I would say most often goes too far with that. So we all think it's a lock that he resigns with the Colts. Now, I don't know if it's a lock, and I thought it would have been last offseason. It would have been a lock that he got that extension. But based on what, what happened with Jonathan Taylor and, and everything, it doesn't feel like a lock that he's just going to get that extension. The, the tag really does feel at play here. But Ballard loves receivers with certain traits, right? He likes size and strength, um, and that's how he's across the board with players, right? He likes big, tall, strong guys. Uh, he's not a speed kind of guy. And yes, there are speed guys out there. The Colts only seem to value that in a slot position. And Josh Downs came in as a rookie, did an excellent job in that role. And he'll stick around and he's a good third option. But for your number one guy, you need a game breaker, whether it's speed, whether it's size. Uh, and Michael Pittman Jr. doesn't provide that. Yes, he's tall. But he's not someone they're just lobbing passes up to over the top and he's going to go and get it. That's not his game. He is over-the-middle possession guy. He's essentially a big and strong slot receiver. Yeah. I think you look at, 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 at Anthony Richardson's development and giving him the maximum amount of weapons to help 
his growth. And there are going to be expectations. You look at C.J. Stroud with Houston. Like, what did he have? I mean, Nico Collins broke out, but that wasn't expected this year. I mean, he had Nico Collins and Tank Dell. And Tank Dell was hurt toward the end of the season. Yes, and and Robert Woods, which every time I hear his name, I'm shocked he's still playing. I mean, Dalton Schultz was a, is a really good tight end, better than anything the Indianapolis Colts have. So you could say, at least at the tight end position, Houston has a much better weapon for C.J. Stroud than the, than the Indianapolis Colts do. You have Nico Collins, who I think it's too early to say if he's, if he's this, that, or the other. Um, but they hit pretty well on that, and a, a guy that was in his third year really kind of broke out. But what about the Indianapolis Colts? And are we going to be sitting here next year and saying, well, the Colts need to upgrade their skill position players to help Anthony Richardson take the next step? And my thing would be, why wait? Do that this year. And that can't be re-signing Michael Pittman Jr. to a long deal, which would not shock me for the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, no, we, we fully expect Ballard to do that because – Oh, it's his guy, and the Colts' whole mantra is, we take care of our people. Here's the thing, that doesn't mean you have to re-sign them to long-term extensions every time, but that's what they've done. And even with Jonathan Taylor, who held out, the Colts eventually relented and gave him exceptional money for the market. That's what the Colts do. Now, Michael Pittman Jr., we all know is not a one, and if someone texted in at 46862 for the good of Pittman's career, he needs to get out of Indy. Um, At... He needs to be willing to accept a franchise tag or to move on. Now, if the Colts have long-term extension plans, I can't do anything about that because that's just Chris Ballard being bad at business yet again. We praised him a lot for this past season, but we also have not forgotten that he hasn't improved the wide receiver room. That's been an ongoing issue. Uh, And someone else saying the Colts have needed to upgrade their skill players for a while. Ballard won't pull the trigger. Well, between free agency and the draft, they'll have the option to upgrade at wide receiver and tight end. Uh, I, we feel like they're pretty set for now at quarterback beyond getting a backup and at running back. Again, same thing beyond getting a backup because Zach Moss is probably not sticking around. I think when you look at what the Colts at the wide receivers, you look at what's out there, Calvin Ridley, but I think the Jaguars probably bring him back. They'll sign him to a new deal. He had a really good year for the Jags this year. Uh, T Higgins, everybody expects him to hit the market. Wouldn't be surprised if the Bengals tag him. Mike Evans, we mentioned him, um, 13 touchdowns, tied for the league lead with Tyreek Hill. Does he come back to Tampa Bay? You would think with the, how they ended the season and making the playoffs, they would like to bring back their leading receiver. After that, what's out there in terms of free agency? I mean, the Bears are going to let Darnell Mooney walk. He's not a one. So uh, are you looking at Odell Beckham and bringing him in? <laughs> no. Uh I, I, that's the thing. It's like the, the the you don't have very many legit number ones that hit the market, which then you turn to the draft. What if I told you there is a number one? Oh, really? Who is hitting the market? We'll get to that about eight oh five or so. This is the perfect player that is similar to Michael Pittman Jr., but a true number one, and the Colts can make a play for him starting on March eleventh. We'll get to that about eight oh five. Coming up on the other side, though. The White Sox want over a billion, yes, billion with a B, dollars in public money for a new stadium. And now that could hurt the Bears in their quest for a new stadium as well. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping up hour number one, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you. 46862 is how you reach us 
on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. Uh, one other text on the Colts and Michael Pittman Jr. Talked about it last segment. Uh, someone texting in uh, CK. Wouldn't be surprised with Colts run back Pittman, Pierce, and Downs. And no significant pieces are added. Chris Ballard is arrogant enough to think that his guys will magically develop to a level we haven't seen yet. His inability to understand modern football will continue to hurt the Colts. Do you think that our listeners, that uh, the majority of which clearly aren't fans of Chris Ballard, do you feel that's the same majority opinion of Colts fans in Indianapolis? Yeah. You think so? Uh, Ballard loves giving big money to positions that don't matter. <laughs> he does. Uh, he's got Guard, the highest paid long snapper. Long snapper. Uh, at least I'll give him credit for kicker because Matt Gay won you some games this season. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give him that. I'll, 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 I thought it was crazy at the time, but I, based on the results, it was worth the cost. Because it's not like a kicker's costing you a ton of money right. against the cap. But something not worth the cost, a White Sox stadium. No. So uh, they have, and, and this came out late last week, but their new stadium that they want to build in the South Loop would require $1 billion in public money plus $700 million in property tax kickback. So we're looking at $1.7 billion with a B. Uh, this also could keep the Bears from getting funding from the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority, uh, which that would be if the Bears have a lakefront stadium. That would keep the money away because it would go to the White Sox instead. Now, the Sox have been at Guaranteed Rate Field since 1991, uh, formerly New Comiskey Park, since they've had different branding names. Um, They've been in contact with state officials. Now, Jerry Reinsdorf is not, at least based on what's reported out there, has not been in contact with J.B. Pritzker like, one-on-one, but obviously his people and their people are talking this through. Now, Chicago can save the money. The White Sox are not worth $1.7 billion in public money. We all know that. And we all know that public funding for stadiums is a con job. The fact that they can't go to the city of Chicago, because the city of Chicago certainly wouldn't, wouldn't go for that, but they can go to the state, and they'd be willing to do that because nobody loves... Uh, getting the the glad handing of the rich and elite like politicians, right? We all know that. Now, there's been a lot of talk about these socks potentially if they don't get this new stadium moving. I mean, sure, go ahead, go move to Nashville, have fun with that. Uh, the summers are hot and humid, and you're gonna have to make sure your stadium has some sort of covering for fans. Oh. And good luck, because most people in Nashville and in the South as a whole are Braves fans. Yeah, we'll see how much of that White Sox uh, fandom uh, follows the team to Nashville. Here's the thing with the White Sox. The White Sox and Jerry Reinsdorf, um, you look at the desire to create this, this district. Basically, we're talking about the 78. So the 78 is... It used to be a landfill, then it was rail yards, and then since like the late 90s, or no, the 70s, it's just been a vacant lot. It's been sitting there, and and really in the thick of Chicago. But it's really only mere blocks away from where the White Sox currently play. And that's, I think, the funniest part. Because the busiest thing, you just want a flashy new stadium, and you want the state to pay for it, and you're not even like 
oh, we're, we're way out in the sticks and we're moving closer into the city. Like it's literally blocks away from where the where the field is now. And you look at that 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 site, the seventy eight, which is kind of a cool name because there are seventy seven community areas in Chicago, and this will make seventy eight. So they just call it the seventy eight. It's kind of cool. But if you're looking at that land, you say that would be much better to build the Bears a new stadium, not the White Sox. I don't know. It just feels like the White Sox feel, and I definitely think this, they think they're more of a value to the city than they really are. It's the Cubs and the Bears. And that's it. I would even put the Blackhawks at least on par with the White Sox. Now, the Blackhawks have stunk for the last couple of years, but they won three championships in the 2010s. And I would say the uh, fervor around the Blackhawks in their heyday was bigger than anything the White Sox had when they were winning a World Series. And I just feel like they, Jerry Reinsdorf feels like the White Sox are this coveted property in Chicago, and they'll, they, won't, they won't dare let the White Sox move or even threat, or if I threaten to move, I'll get what I want. I don't think so. I think the city of Chicago and the, and the state of Illinois, you're going to look at it and be like, eh, you're not the Cubs, you're not the Bears, um, you may be bigger than the Blackhawks, but not much. Uh, and, and the Blackhawks have a generational talent, we believe. With Connor Bedard, yeah. yeah they, so <laughs> they'll, they'll, they're more likely to get what they want because they have a player for the next 10 to 15 years is going to be one of the top players in the NHL. And so for the White Sox, and you, you bring up a good point, like if Jerry Reinsdorf isn't going to invest in building a winner for the White Sox, what, why, the, why should the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois front all this money to give them what they want. Again, my argument when it comes to sports arenas and stadiums, the fact that Key Arena made more money and had their best year ever after the Sonics left is like all the explanation needed about all this type with, you know, public money and sports. Like arenas can have more success without a team as a tenant because they can host more concerts and events. Um, you don't need politicians giving team owners money. They have the money themselves. They should be taking the business risk. We don't do this with, with other industries, right? I understand that we do TIFs and we do you know tax-free on, on property taxes for certain terms, like a 10-year term or 15 or 20-year. And I think that's ridiculous too, but they use it to attract big businesses in cities. Happens all the time. Happens here in Fort Wayne. I don't like it, but it is what it is. Yeah, you got to play the game sometimes with. But with we don't need business. to be be throwing out a billion plus dollars for something that a team owner, if he really wants it, should be willing to front some money for. And this is not a a, a state that's laden with a surplus in cash. No. Okay. So a billion dollars is a big deal to the state of Illinois, and. Uh, the, the expectation is Reinsdorf and the White Sox will ask the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority to float bonds to help raise the likely $1 billion cost of building a stadium on an undeveloped parcel called the 78, which interestingly is only two red line stops away yeah. from the current stadium. Yeah, it's it's not far. It's not and, very far. <laughs> and uh, it's in an area that, uh, okay, it's a, a giant, basically empty field. At the moment? Yeah, it's an empty lot. It used to be a landfill, and then it was uh, a rail yard for a while, but for the last 35 years, it sat vacant. How is that going to improve that neighborhood? I, I understand you get rid of a vacant lot, but like you said, it's two stops away. 
I mean, stadium. You're, yeah, you're closer. You're you're on the edge of downtown as as a, as opposed to you know a little bit further away from it. But again, like it's the White Sox. Like the Cubs are an institution in Chicago. The Bears are an institution in Chicago. You could even say the Blackhawks are an institution in Chicago. Reinsdorf would Sox, have more success moving the Bulls and Blackhawks to this site than he would the White Sox. Yeah, I mean, the UC isn't going anywhere anytime soon, but it's kind of, it's further away from downtown than this lot is. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just, uh, I think it's, 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 the thought, the processes around it is, is not understanding the state. I hope it doesn't happen, but, um, you know, as a text come in, pointed out, like the state of Illinois is broke. Uh, it's, it's crazy. If it happens, maybe I start to think the talk of attracting the bears to Northeast West Indiana could gain momentum. Now the bears aren't going anywhere. Um, they're not, uh, going, reverting back to the Decatur Staley's or anything and moving back to Indiana, but the white Sox, they could be on the move. And Jerry Reinsdorf, I think he's of the opinion that if I dangle that, then I'll get what I want. Not necessarily. Not for the white Sox. Bears. Yeah. Cubs. Yeah. White Sox. Coming up on the other side, we'll kick off hour number two. And a wide receiver one just hit the market for the Colts. Why he'd be an immediate upgrade over Michael Pittman Jr. And a very similar player at that too. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kenny with you this hour on the show. A number one wide receiver just hit the market for the Colts. Time for Chris Ballard to move on from one player and upgrade with another. We'll get to that shortly. Plus, Matt Painter fell into the Mike Woodson trap in Sunday's loss against Ohio State. We'll explain what he did and why it likely cost the Boilers in that game. And Alabama football is essentially becoming the 2019 Indiana Hoosiers. Yet another former Hoosiers assistant getting a prominent role. On Kalen DeWars head coaching staff. We'll give you the details on that after 8.30. Plus, Gen Z trying to bring back something that we all haven't really seen since, I don't know, the 90s, early 2000s. Nostalgia rules all. And for Gen Z, it's nostalgia they didn't even live through. Of course. Yeah, so we'll get to that after 8.50. All right. 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. Also, don't forget, you can always stream us, 1380thefan.com. That's free via the free 1380thefan mobile app. You can listen on your phone on the go or on your smart speaker. And as always, if you miss anything in the first hour, want to catch up on a previous show like yesterday or today, or if you can only tune in now and then want to catch the rest of this hour, you can always catch up via the podcast. Download it for free on your favorite podcasting platform, just look for it uh, around 10, 30, 11 o'clock each and every morning. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can all for free. So the Colts, uh, if they're going to keep Michael Pittman Jr., and we talked about this in the first hour, absolutely should only do the franchise tag. And the Colts have two weeks as of 4 p.m. this afternoon to make that decision. Colts haven't used a tag since 2013 with Pat McAfee. So it's been a minute. But... As of yesterday, a number one wide receiver essentially hit the market for the Colts. Now, the Colts cannot talk with this individual until March 11th, but Mike Evans didn't reach an extension at the deadline yesterday with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers effectively making him a free agent. Now, 
The Bucs have several players that they're going to have to figure out what to do with. Baker Mayfield among those, Mike Evans, and Antoine Winfield Jr., all some of their top players on offense and defense. But Mike Evans, this is a, a true wide receiver one, a Super Bowl champion. He's only 30 years old, so I get you're getting older, but you have more experience. And he'd be a massive upgrade at wide receiver. Yes, he's 6'4", just like Michael Pittman Jr., but this is a guy that has multiple double-digit touchdown seasons. In fact, five of them to be exact and actually led the league in receiving touchdowns last season, and that was with Baker Mayfield as a quarterback, to put it in perspective. Not Tom Brady, like he had for a couple of seasons. Uh, Baker Mayfield. So this is an established guy the Colts can go after. It's an immediate upgrade over a Michael Pittman Jr., a guy who actually can beat you over the top, not dinking and dunking like MPJ getting you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 yards at a time, but a guy who can really make it work down the field. And the Colts, this should be their move. Chris Ballard loves traits, right, Justin? He loves big, strong guys. That That's kind of his right. MO when it comes to drafting, right? It's all about the physical traits. That's Mike Evans. Mike Evans checks all of those boxes. And he would be an immediate upgrade to a wide receiver room that would make him a for sure number one receiver. And the Colts would have a, a true upgrade at that position and feel like they would give Anthony Richardson their first elite target to throw to. Yeah, could you? I think a perfect offseason in terms of we look at, at where the Colts are and what they could use on defense or offense is the following. You tag... Michael Pippen Jr. If you could sign Mike Evans, he's an older dude, but he's still very solid. Raised his stock this past season, and he's big, he's strong, he has a bit of an issue with drops. Michael Pippen Jr. is a more sure-handed guy than Mike Mike Evans, but Mike Evans can take a top off a of defense. He can still make explosive plays and make great, uh, great receptions. And just we saw it last year, last year in terms of his ability to get into the end zone. Okay. And that I think then would raise the level of play but for Michael Pittman Jr. It would be the best receiver that Pittman Jr. played opposite of his entire NFL career, which means he's probably seeing right now the best cornerback when you play the Colts is on Pittman. But if you bring in Mike Evans, all of a sudden the best cornerback is going to be on Mike Evans. So that's going to open up further opportunities for Michael Pittman Jr. So if you're looking at, at at what I said in terms of offensive upgrades, you tag Pittman, you sign Mike Evans, you draft Brock, Brock Bowers. That would be a trifecta of moves that would that would really, really make me feel really good about where those offensive skill position players are for the Colts. Here's the thing, though. The Colts have about $66 million in cap space. They don't have the money to afford both a Pittman and a Mike Evans. I mean, we're talking forty-five, fifty million dollars right there. Yeah, I mean that's the problem with the Colts and where they're at. I'm saying you let Pittman walk. You let Pittman walk, and you sign Mike Evans. Now, the Colts have never been uh, a franchise to really value free agency to the point of making splash plays in free agency. But again, this is a, a receiver who's 30 years old. He had 13 touchdowns last season with Baker Mayfield, who is a mid-level quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Michael Pittman Jr., for perspective, Colts fans, just has 15 touchdowns across four seasons in his entire career in terms of receiving touchdowns. 
That's the issue I have with Michael Pittman Jr. He's not a game breaker. A, a true wide receiver one is getting you a season of double-digit touchdowns. We have enough of a sample size. Mike Evans is a, a much better receiver. Would be a massive upgrade for that room. Would give the Colts someone who you could count on in big moments, not just to make a catch over the middle, but to make catches on the edge. Uh, because the Colts just don't have that. They want Pierce to be that guy, but he's not necessarily turned into that guy yet. And you could almost see the future with Tampa Bay and where Indianapolis could be in terms of the future. You look at why Mike Evans could potentially walk is because Tampa Bay gave big money to Chris Godwin, a guy that has five total touchdown receptions in the last two years. He's a guy that you shouldn't have paid. And now you don't have enough money at that position to pay Mike Evans. And that's kind of an issue with the Indianapolis Colts. If you pay Michael Pittman Jr. money that, quite frankly, he doesn't deserve, then in the next three or four years, you're going to really hamstring yourself in terms of another guy that you can give big money to at that position. And that's maybe my biggest thing is you look at Michael Pittman Jr. and you say he's not good enough to command that money and basically eat up what you're paying at that position for the next three or four years. But you know the Colts and Chris Ballard are going to just make the move. Because that's what, they, that's what they do. They protect their guys, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. Mike Evans has gone over 1,000 yards in every single season of his career. He's been in the league since 2014. It's not a small sample size. He's led the league in touchdowns last season. Um, he's a guy who's gotten you double-digit touchdowns uh, five different times. This is, a, this is a, a true elite receiver. Yes, he's 30 years old, but you're still going to get him at a, at a good stage. It's not like you're getting him at 34, right? You're getting him at 30. He turns 31 this August. So you sign him to like a three-year deal, a four-year deal, and you go for it. Because this this is the kind of player that, that could help Anthony Richardson grow into what the Colts want him to be. But you got to give him something, someone to throw to. And outside of being set at slot receiver, you feel confident in Josh Downs after one rookie season, mind you. That's the only only thing where you shouldn't be reevaluating when it terms of your 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 receivers. You have like a million tight ends, but you don't have one, right? And that's why a lot of Colts fans want the Colts to go after Brock Bowers. But again, I'm convinced you're going to have to trade up to maybe even the fringes of the top 10 to actually get Brock Bowers. Plus, Michael Pittman Jr., not worthy of an extension, but at most, you tag him. But you still have to pay him a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, you still have to pay him over $20 million with, with a tag, let alone an extension could command up to 25. He's just not worth that kind of money. He's a good player, but he's not a number one. Mike Evans is a clear-cut number one. And then there's Alec Pierce, who, um, yeah, flashes, but if he can't do anything this season, it's time to move on. I do think it's a mere formality that the Colts are going to bring back Michael Pittman Jr., probably to As an extens- extension. That's just how they roll. But I just I feel like we're sitting here this time next year going, well, the Colts need to improve their wide receiver room. Um, we said that last year. And they and they have not. I mean, Josh Downs is a good addition for sure, but he's only played one year. I'm not ready to say okay, the slot is set for the Colts for the for the foreseeable future because of Josh Downs. But it's the most set position that they have when it comes to the wide receiver and tight end room. That's that's the thing, right? You have a, a guy who had a great rookie year. You feel confident in slot receiver. You shouldn't feel confident at at wide receiver one, at wide receiver two, at tight end. I mean, there's so many gaps just right there at the skill positions. And I don't know what the Colts do 
elsewhere outside of Michael Pippen Jr. They're giving Michael Pippen Jr. an extension. I will be surprised over the next two weeks if he's franchised. I, I would be more encouraged by the Indianapolis Colts in their direction if they franchise him. But I, I, uh, we know how Chris Ballard operates. Yeah, he's, we, he's we know how this plays out. He'll, he'll reward his own because he drafted him, and he's got to continue to prove to the world that he's the smartest guy in the room. And his smug little face and smile, that's what he is. That's what he <laughs> oh, does. Oh, but the Colts media eats it up, you know? You, nah, they don't eat it up conference. anymore. Don't know, but they get into a press conference and they they eat up what Chris Ballard's saying. Yeah, because he knows how to command a room and be funny and be entertaining. Yeah, he's he's endearing and kind of folksy at the same time. Right, and people just eat that up, you know. At least the 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 media eats it up. But I think your best chance at upgrading the skill position players for the Indianapolis Colts this offseason in terms of a splash move is Brock Bowers. And 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 you know what that that would be a really good move because of course it opens up opportunities that your current tight ends aren't giving you in terms of the matchups with an elite tight end. I mean, considering who Colts fans think is the best tight end spent the year on IR. I mean, that, that that's right. That's the problem. You, you have like three, four guys in that room, but you don't feel confident. Any one of them can pan out. Look, great teams in the NFL these days have an elite tight end. Yes. And the Colts do not. They have a bunch of old school lumbering tight ends that can stay in and block when needed to. There's just nobody that's a mismatch in terms of going up against a linebacker or something like that. They can get downfield and beat or be more physical than a corner and more fat and faster than a linebacker. It's that matchup mismatch that they don't have with any of their current roster and tight ends. I don't know what the Colts, it, it just... Uh, it's going to tell us a lot because I think the Colts, they're ahead of schedule. But it was not because of the quarterback of the future, quote-unquote. So are they aggressive? Are they passive? Do they think they're that close, even though I don't think they are? Uh, it's going to be a, a, a very interesting offseason for the Indianapolis Colts because how they consider themselves is going to, of course, be a big impact on what they do and don't do, and it's going to tell us a lot. And the Colts have decisions to make. There are multiple options with the franchise tag, assuming uh, that could be one of the routes that they go. I just think it's more likely that they sign Michael Pippen Jr. and they bring in, bring in like a Marquise Brown or a Tyler Boyd type player that can be maybe an upgrade at the two, but isn't really uh, elevating the, the skill position of the Colts immeasurably. A Byron Pringle, maybe, from Washington. They're all right, but but they're all number two guys at best. Yeah, and and for Pittman, look, he'd be getting about twenty three million with a franchise tag. He and he's open to the idea of a franchise tag. But as I said, the Colts can't afford a Mike Evans and a a Michael Pittman Jr. on the same team at the same time. I mean that that's what they need as far as in terms of a serious upgrade of that position. That's just simply not a realistic possibility. You can't spend that kind of money because you still have to make decisions about Kenny Moore, about Grover Stewart, and and so many other key guys. And that's the big thing for Indianapolis is these moves that we see in the next couple weeks to a month to a month and a half in free agency, they're going to tell us a lot. We feel like we know what the Colts are or aren't. What about the front office of the Indianapolis Colts? Did they understand what they are and aren't? We shall see, but Michael Pittman is not a true number one. Mike Evans would be that upgrade 
But we all know how this ends for the Colts, unfortunately, if you're looking for an upgrade to that position. Well, at least Chris Ballard has the confidence of Colts fans, right? <laughs> uh, by our text line, he does, he does not. And we no. even gave credit to Chris Ballard for good reason for some of the moves he made heading into last yeah, season I mean, and all that. Gardner Minshew, right? Even though that was more of a Steichen call. But they, they yeah. signed a backup quarterback who has proven to be a very good addition who turned into be a a guy that the Colts absolutely needed and and almost got him a playoff spot almost got him a division win as far as winning the AFC South no one would have said any of those things going into the season is I don't want to be too dramatic we talk about make or break and all that stuff but is this the most important offseason last last year was important for a different reason finding that franchise quarterback but I think this offseason is all about protecting and developing that so-called franchise quarterback that you think you have. It just feels like this offseason is going to set the tone for the Colts for the next three or four seasons, depending on what they do. Yeah, and at some point, Chris Ballard's got to get you to the playoffs and do something. I mean, yeah, they, they've they've gone, but they they've, not, they've not done anything uh, under Chris Ballard. And for a guy as well thought of, as he is around the league, there's not a lot of playoff success on that resume. The Colts have a record that's like barely above 500 during the Chris Ballard tenure. So it's just hard for me to buy into the hype of a guy who, yes, came came from Kansas City, but also this was pre-Patrick Mahomes. So he doesn't get credit for that either. And I think you look at Chris Ballard and, and the Indianapolis Colts mindset, and are they looking elsewhere in the division when you look at the Houston Texans, and they're saying, hey, look, that was a quarterback that came in, and you could argue didn't have the the skill position players around him. They definitely didn't have a Jonathan Taylor. Devin Singletary was solid, but uh, he's not as, as widely acclaimed as Jonathan Taylor. The Indianapolis Colts look at that and say, okay, if Stroud can do that in Houston – and elevate Tank Dell and Nico Collins and Dalton Schultz, then that's the expectation we have with Anthony Richardson, and he's going to elevate Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce and those tight ends. And does that work out? I I don't know. I But I, I do know this. Chris Ballard saved his job this past season. This upcoming season will be the thing for me that will determine whether he is the long-term answer at GM or not. He bought himself a year. He did. He didn't buy himself any more than that. No, he did not. And for the Colts, again, upgrading at wide receiver, upgrading at tight end. You can always upgrade offensive line. They got to improve the secondary. They need an elite pass rusher, whether it's someone already on the roster who turns into that, or whether they go get one. There are still plenty of holes on this team, and they're nowhere close Nowhere close to being a contender in the AFC. No, they're not. Um, no, not at all. They're, we talked about it yesterday, maybe third in their division. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. Someone asking, how do you know Anthony Richardson is better than Baker Mayfield? How old is, well, Mike Evans is 30. I didn't say Anthony Richardson was better than make Baker Mayfield. I said that Baker Mayfield is a mid-level quarterback in the league, which he is. That's proven to be true. And Anthony Richardson very may well, well could be the same thing at this point. We, we just don't know. No. But I do think that the Indianapolis Colts would be smart to maximize the amount of talent you, go, you put around Anthony Richardson and the protection in front of him to give him the best chance to succeed. 
I just worry that the Indianapolis Colts are going to look at what Houston did last year and say, hey, that's a rookie quarterback in the same class as Anthony Richardson that didn't have a lot around him, and look what Houston did. And maybe Indianapolis takes that same approach and says, okay, we don't necessarily have to upgrade at this position, that position, because what we feel we have with Anthony Richardson is what Houston had with C.J. Stroud with a team with very limited, proven offensive weapons and won a division and won a playoff game. That may work with Stroud, who is a lot more experienced in college. Coming in was true a, a guy who had the the highest floor but a lower ceiling than some of the other quarterback prospects. But that's not going to work with an Anthony Richardson. And I gave Chris Ballard too much credit. I said he barely has a winning record as a GM. Uh, he does not. 54-60-1. Mm. You know, a couple 4-12 and 12 seasons will do that to you. Yeah, that'll, that'll hurt the average. <clears throat> Coming up on the other side... Matt Painter fell into the Mike Woodson trap in the game against Ohio State, and it likely cost the Boilers. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Just put in CK before your message. Purdue fans, uh, I want your thoughts on this because I think it's something that Matt Painter did that he should not do moving forward. And this happened in Sunday's game at Ohio State. So Purdue was up by five at 28-23. Zach Eady picks up his second foul at the 430 mark of the first half. Ohio State then closes the half. They end up going from down five to up five at halftime. Purdue was outscored by 14 with Eady on the bench. Now, to be clear, this is not like some sort of trend that we need to overanalyze as far as Purdue not having Edie on the floor and what they can do because last year that was the problem. This year, they can hold serve, generally. But they, they did not do so against Ohio State. The, the biggest issue is Zach Edie finished with just two fouls in that game. Um, with a player like Edie and the way games are going, Matt Painter has to be willing to take more of a risk when it comes to Edie picking up a second foul in those situations. We saw Mike Woodson do this and it's burned them for games, right? During the season. If, if renew gets a foul or Ware gets a second foul, right. And putting them on the bench for long periods of time. And the game's completely away from Indiana. Cause they just don't have scoring options yeah. beyond those two players. Most of the time, Zach Eady uh, is too good of a player and a guy who doesn't commit a lot of fouls. He's averaging just two and a half fouls per 40 minutes. Fouling is not an issue for him. Yes, he did have those four fouls against Minnesota, um, but that w- it was never like a game, right, where it was dire for Purdue in the second half because of Zach Eady fouls, right? He-, he picked up, like, I think his fourth with, like, four, five, six minutes left, and Purdue was rallying back. It was not some sort of thing that factored into the outcome of the game. It's cost IU a lot this season with Mike Woodson leaving guys on the bench too long with a second foul, and for once, it cost Matt Painter on Sunday. Yeah, it's all about balancing and, and what you need to do with Edie. And nine times out of ten, it works out for Purdue, but Ohio State was able to take advantage and they need common sense, of course, that they need to sack Edie to stay out of foul trouble. But that, that pivotal second foul in that first half is just so important to your star players, particularly up front. And, and it's bitten Indiana time and time and time again this year and how Mike Woodson has mismanaged that sequence and you have to look at Zach Eady and say you have to take the risk and and keep him out there because as you mentioned he doesn't foul very much he's 7-4 no. he doesn't have to foul 
right? So you keep him out there, particularly in a game that early in the set after Ohio State made their run, were ahead, and it just felt like maybe that. I think it, it doesn't. We're not too worried about this game, but you look at a scenario in in the postseason, the NCAA tournament. You have to give Edie a longer leash, especially in March Madness. You have to trust a guy of that caliber and that maturity level. Yeah, he's experienced. It's not like he's a a freshman or sophomore. This yes. is a guy who's a what fourth year player. But also the matchups are, are important. So if you're playing a team that has a lot of guys that cut to the basket, smaller dudes that are too quick for the guards of Purdue, and maybe can get to the basket and then put a Zach Edie in uncomfortable positions, then maybe you make a change or or consider that. But you have to be able to trust your bigs to play with multiple fouls and know the situation. And I think part of that hurts Indiana because I don't think those guys play any different when they play have two fouls as they do with, with if they're on the bench. But I think Zach Eady is smart enough to handle it. Yeah, well, and I think that's the difference. He's experienced enough. You don't have to worry about it in those situations. And, and Matt Painter, that's just a, a matter of being aware of your roster and what you have. Again, Zach Eady's not committing a lot of fouls. It's, it's not the issue here. Uh, averaging under two fouls a game. Uh, two and a half per 40 minutes. This, this is not an issue. Yes, it's come up from time to time. But this is not like Malik Renew of Indiana who, who fouls out of a lot of games and, and had an issue last season as a freshman with foul trouble. You thought, okay, it was a freshman thing. He'd figure it it's out. It's gotten no better no, this year. No, it's gotten no better. In fact, it's gotten worse the last handful of games for Indiana. And that's costing them down the stretch. For Purdue, it shouldn't have to cost the Boilers. And and to me, this felt like an overreaction by Matt Painter on that side. I mean, you have to trust guys that you can trust. You can trust Zach Eady out there on the court. Well, don't you, too, at some point, want to see how your team plays with a Zach Eady on the floor with two fouls in the first half? How do they handle yeah. it? How do they play? Because there could be a situation... I imagine if you're if you're in the elite eight and Zach Eady picks up two fouls in the first half and you're trailing, you're not taking him out of the game, are you? And I think you want to see how your team performs in a situation where Zach Eady needs to protect himself. And outside of taking him out, you know, close to a, a you know a TV timeout to give him a brief spell, sure. No, you can't afford to take him out for that long. No, I don't think so. And maybe it was a lesson learned by Matt Painter on Sunday, but. You're, you're reaching a point of the season where you have to have Zach Eady out there as much as physically possible, and you just hope he's a guy that is veteran enough to know what he can and can't do with two fouls. Well, and is it time in college basketball that it coaches, because the, the classic move has always been, oh, two fouls, you pull a guy immediately. Yeah. I feel like we're seeing a shift on that, and maybe it's just time for Matt Painter to adjust to that shift that we've we've seen more and more as time goes on of – those guys staying on the floor. Well, we've seen that, right? You pick up two, you go to the bench for the rest of the first half. You pick up an early third, you go right to the bench in the second half, right? Uh, that's always been been the traditional moves by coaches. But are those the right moves? And I think when you have the best player in college basketball, that's not necessarily no. the right move. No, it's certainly not the right move. You need your best player on the floor as much as possible, I get you're going to say on the counterpoint, well, if he if he has foul trouble, he can't play. It's like you just have to, if, if teams are going to go at him, he's just going to have to lay off defensively. He can figure it out. These guys know how to play with foul trouble. And that's the thing with the difference between uh, a Malik Renew and Zach Eady is, is you look at Malik Renew, a guy that traditionally has problems with 
fouls. And if he pick up picks up two, you're like, well, Malik is a guy that's not going to change his approach in terms of how he plays. And if I leave him out there, he very well could foul out with 12 minutes to go in the, in the second half. And that's why you take him out. But Zach Eady just doesn't foul like a Malik Renew does. So you have the benefit of him playing and his frame allowing him to play at an effective level without having to foul. And I think that's something that you hope if you're a Purdue fan will continue and, and maybe a longer leash for Zach Eady coming in March. Absolutely has to be longer in March. Uh, I guess middle of February, it was a puzzling decision and it turned out to not be the right one. But in March, you got to have your best player on the floor, even if that means he risks picking up a, a third foul. You have to have it. Coming up on the other side, Alabama football is just the 2019 Indiana Hoosiers? Yeah, we'll explain. Caleb McKinney in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Going the distance here on Caleb and Kinney in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you. 46862 is how you can interact with us on the text line. Again, 46862. You know what? We need a poll question, Justin. And, Do we uh, need a poll question? Let's... Uh, we talked about this earlier this hour and in hour number one in terms of the Colts. Um, well, you could do this. Who would you who would you want or do, at, at receiver? Do you want to do that or what would you do with Michael Pittman Jr.? Ah, yes. So do you tag him, you re-sign him long-term, or you let him walk? I, I, I think I know what I would do. I would, I would let him walk, but... It doesn't seem to be what you, the Colts are going to do. Do you think a certain portion of the Colts brain trust is terrified that they will let somebody go that turns into a really good player elsewhere? Um, Probably, but I really think it's mostly because it, he's Ballard's guy and Ballard, you know, it's the ego, right? It's like, oh, I, I drafted this guy. I molded this guy. You know, it's, it's the, I developed him, I drafted him, we grow our own talent here yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it's just that, uh, I don't know, it's a Mickey Mouse mentality, I don't like it. In the NFL, like I get it, small market baseball teams, you kind of have to think like that, blah, blah, blah. But the NFL, uh, you can't think like that. You go out, get talent. So what should the Colts do with Michael Pittman Jr.? Extend him, franchise tag him. Or let him walk. That is our poll question of the day, and it is now live at Caleb Kinney thirteen eighty on Twitter slash X. All right, so uh, you can go and vote and let us know your thoughts. Again, Caleb Kinney thirteen eighty on Twitter slash X. What should the Colts do with Michael Pittman Jr.? Extend, tag, or let him walk. Let us know. Uh, from the NFL to college football in Alabama, is essentially become the IU Hoosiers in twenty nineteen mm. in terms of coaching staff. So another move. So head coach Kalen DeBoer, who was, of course, the offensive coordinator on that team under Tom Allen, is officially named uh, Kane Womack as the defensive coordinator. Now, he was the head coach at South Alabama the last three seasons, went 22-16. and 16. He was the D.C. for IU on the team that lost in the Gator Bowl to Tennessee. And one more staff connection, Nick Sheridan, who was the tight ends coach for Indiana then, was the tight ends coach for Alabama, uh, but he's been promoted to offensive coordinator. 
All right. So, you know, <laughs> Kalen DeBoer is bringing in a veritable who's who of former IU coaches. Now, it, it, it makes sense because these guys have been either on, like Sheridan's been on staff with DeBoer right. for a while. Um, and, and Womack was already in Alabama, South Alabama. They clearly had the working relationship there. And it's another instance of a head coach going to be a coordinator. But obviously, he's getting a an upgrade in terms of, of pay and facilities and all those bit. things. Yeah, a little bit. So it, it's a move that makes sense. But if you would have, have told me in 2019 that the OC, the DC, and the tight ends coach would all play <laughs> prominent roles on the Alabama coaching staff in 2024, I would laugh in your face. Well, you at least you would at least think that okay, the next couple years are going to be absolute bangers for IU football. <laughs> that too, which they weren't. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> opposite a, of that yes i guess you had 2020 but some of those guys had already moved on and that was really that was the highest point yeah yeah you go into 21 you know ranked in the the top 25 and then you get housed against iowa and you have that chance against a really good cincinnati team and it, it unravels and that was it that was it for that team they were done when you look at alabama and the first year for kalen devore what is realistic expectations because this team, you have to go to Wisconsin uh, in the non-conference, okay? Then your first SEC game is hosting Georgia in late September. You have to go to Tennessee, to LSU, to Oklahoma. And then you have Missouri and Auburn at home. Oh, and then they have the Mercer Bears on November 16th. But uh, You know, you got to have your tune-up for the Iron Bowl. Yes, you do. Uh, which I will, well... That game is sandwiched in between road games at LSU and Oklahoma. So I don't really have a problem with that. Um, but what do you see? I mean, is it can, can they get to nine and three? Uh, their win total is nine and a half. So I was actually going to ask you oh. this over under on that. Now you're, you're bringing back. Here's the thing. Also, the spring portal period will be fascinating for Alabama in terms of who stays, who goes, who they add. Yeah. Um, just because of Saban losing or leaving and retiring late in that process. But I mean, outside of a, a few guys who are mostly some of the younger guys, yes, Ohio State got a, a prominent DB, but for the most part, they've retained a lot of these people and done well on the recruiting trail. So I, I think you look at the schedule and yeah, Georgia and they're not winning, but it's about time Alabama and Georgia play the regular season, right? Yeah. Um, Oklahoma is an interesting team because they had a good season last year. But remember, their quarterback transferred. They are handing it over to a guy who was a highly touted prospect. He struggled in the bowl game in his first start, Jackson Arnold. And it kind of feels like Clemson 2.0 where they like made that decision to go with, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on, on the Cade Klubnik. Yeah. Right? It, it feels like that 2.0. So I'm not really sold on Oklahoma. Um, Auburn, you just have no idea what you're going to get. I mean, they have to be better than last year, Auburn, right? Yeah. I mean, they barely won six games. LSU has a lot of turnover. Tennessee, I mean, can can Nico, uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, Iama Lava. That's not even close. Uh, (laughs) That's not even close. Um, But can, can he be the guy that Tennessee needs him to be to take that step? I mean, it's a tough schedule, but at the same time, there are several games where you feel like just Bama on talent advantage alone is going to win, even over teams that it, you feel like it's a toss-up. Like 
Auburn, you're 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 hosting at Oklahoma. You're you're gonna have a talent advantage in every game except Georgia. Yeah. That's the thing you have to keep in mind. But I think it could ebb and flow too. Yeah, Oklahoma could be down. LSU could be down comparatively last season, but Auburn should be better. I would think that in year two, Wisconsin is better with Luke Fickle. So it could go up and down. But nine and a half, I mean, I'm sitting here right now looking at that schedule and could Alabama go nine and three? I think there's a chance they go ten and two as well. Yeah, I mean, look, Georgia, you chalk up as a loss. They probably lose between LSU and Tennessee, which are both road games, they lose at least one of those. There's two, and then where's that third loss? Is it at Oklahoma? Is it Auburn in the Iron Bowl? Is it at Wisconsin? You know, some you know early season upset. Yeah, I just think that's a schedule. I mean, you look at Missouri, great season last year. Like, does Missouri have staying power? Yeah, legit question. So, I don't know what realistic expectations for. Can we call them IU South with all those coaches on the <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, it sure feels like it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, amazing the amount of uh, coaches now on that staff in Tuscaloosa from that 2019 IU staff. Coming up on the other side, we'll wrap it up here on a Tuesday. Gen Z is trying to bring back something I thought we left in the late 90s and early 2000s. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Little Bubba Sparks to wrap it up here. (laughs) Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Some booty everywhere. Yeah, not quite, not quite this era, but close as we wrap it up, Gen Z bringing back landline phones. I saw this headline. Because they think they look cool. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So Unless you got the one on the wall that you have to wind up mm-hmm. and talk. Like a rotary phone? Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Like the one like the old school where you had to like hook up the one you talked into oh, yes. or listened to. Yeah. And you had to, I'm doing the actual motion here <laughs> in the studio. Like, unless you have that, it's not very cool. But, uh, so they brought back a lot of early 2000s technology. Uh, they're apparently ditching iPhones for flip phones, bringing back digital cameras, using iPod minis as hair clips, what? and buying out vintage iPods from 2007. Now they're targeting the landline phone. Really? Um, and of course, it's people like it looks cool and they can, you know, I guess use it in pictures, but they don't um, know the struggle of using a rotary phone and having like an eight and then your finger slipping yeah, and yeah. then it, you have to completely start over. Yeah. We'll see how long that lasts. It's, it's another, another one of those things. It's a, a I guess a cool photo op, but do you remember the first time you had a cordless phone at your home? Yeah. It was nice. It was, uh, it was, well, I still remember how that thing looked. It was white. Um, and it was, it was like, you know, space age technology. Mm-hmm. This thing doesn't have to have a cord. Yeah. You don't have like a, a cord that can reach, you know, across an entire room that goes yeah. 12 <laughs> to 15 feet and we, gets tangled up. Yes. Exactly. I was about to say, we have one in the, in the, in the studio that I always stare at. If it's any amount of st- <laughs> tangled, I have you to untangle are- it. I'm so particular I'm about that. I'm staring at it right now. It's okay now. It's still bothering me a little bit. It's looped up a little bit. But the ones that are like really tightly wound, oh, I can't handle that. I cannot handle it. Like I I, I get like a curiosity with quote unquote vintage products, but this is one where we had a massive technological upgrade. Like it's not like vinyl or even cassette tapes, right? right? Which have both had comebacks. Like this is where we have a, a clear upgrade like we have an iphone that does like 50 different things of other devices in our pocket we have a phone 
Uh, we have a calculator. We have a map. We have a compass. We have a level. Um, of everything. Uh, a, a CD player, MP3 player, uh, you know, a DVD player, essentially. Streaming device. Like You have everything. On and on and on. You can pay with your phone. You yeah. can handle your bills. Your Yeah, everything. And yet... They like to just sit there and talk and twirl the little cord. That's a quote <laughs> in the story. Uh, apparently. Well, whatever. I, I didn't understand Gen Z before, and by gosh, I still don't. We're just a couple of old losers. Yeah, we're just a couple of old guys with these young kids. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Old men yelling at clouds. Yeah, basically. That's Caleb and Kenny in the morning. That was the alternate name for this show. <laughs> yeah. Two angry men yelling at clouds. For Justin Kitty, I'm Caleb Batch. Dan Patrick coming up next. The herd with Colin Cowherd at noon. Indiana Sports Suite with Jim Coyle from three to four, and the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from four to six. All here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.